right, you can grab a seat. Don't get too comfortable. I'm not going to make you get back up. But turn to somebody around you. Just tell them what's the best movie you've seen recently. All right, best movie you've seen recently. Ready, set, go. All right, some of you have seen a lot of movies. Some of you are like, ah, I haven't seen one in a while. All right, so it's funny because, you know, it's, it's a question you'll sometimes bring up. You'll be like, hey, have you seen, like, this movie, whatever it is, right? Like, have you seen the Black Panther? And uh, I'll be like, no, but have you seen Moana? Because this is, like, the stage of life that I'm in, right? Have you seen Moana? It's awesome. And I've seen Moana probably about... 50 times now, right? But these are the movies that we're watching, you know? So I don't even know. As you guys are sharing, I'm like, I haven't heard of that one. Haven't heard of that one, you know? The only one I could even think of to, like, present as, like, a present movie was, like, the Black Panther. And no, I haven't seen it. But, yes, I have seen Moana. And uh, the funny thing is, is I'm watching all of these kids' movies. You watch these kids' movies, and you sort of just get, like, sometimes you'll be sitting in the room, like, watching one of these movies. And the people that you were originally watching it for are, like, outside the room. And you're just still there with, like, the popcorn, like, What's going to happen to Moana? You know, like I, I'm asking these questions. I'm getting drawn into these stories. And uh, the truth is, and this is, I'll admit it, you know, the story of Moana was kind of a bit compelling to me, you know. And I watched the movie, and I sort of even found myself singing the songs in my head, enjoying it. And uh, Aiden's like, you want to watch Moana? Let's watch Moana. Let's watch it again. And uh, I'm actually really compelled by the storyline. If you haven't seen Moana, um, it's the story of this little girl named Moana, okay, and Moana lives in this just amazing paradise, right, and she lives in this cool little village with all these people, and every day, it's just this beautiful lagoon that they get to experience, they get to live in, but Moana, each day, as she sits on the shore and looks out over, out into the unknown, right, out into the great ocean, she just thinks to herself, there's got to be more, there's got to be more, there's got to be more beyond the reef, but her father, who happens to be um, the, the chief of the village, he keeps the people within the reef. He says, listen, we have a rule around here. We never go out beyond the reef. Don't go be out, out beyond the reef. It's too dangerous out there. And we learn later that part of the reason why the chief says that is because he at one time lost a friend when they were out fishing beyond the reef. And so they say, we don't fish beyond the reef. Uh, we stay inside the reef. But Moana's not satisfied with that. And add to the fact that she's not satisfied with that, that her grandma continues to tell her these stories of the days of old. And she continues to stir her imagination for maybe what could be. And so Moana starts to wonder. In fact, several times in the early parts of the story, she tries to get out beyond the reef. And she experiences just the crazy waters of the ocean, barely survives one incident. When she comes in on the shore, she's, got, she's just all wet and um, been tossed and just barely survived this incident. Her grandma says, hey, I, I want to show you something. Because she can tell that Moana's drawn the more, and so she says, I want to show you something about your heritage. And so she takes her up 
on this mountain and into this deep cavern that's been blocked off so that nobody could get in there. So the roots of their heritage has been hidden from the people uh, so that they won't venture out. And so uh, Grandma takes her in, and they've got this torch in their hand, and she shows her, and she says, look. And and as they step into the cavern, there's these huge vessels, right, and these huge fishing vessels. And she tells her, hey, listen, Moana, we were voyagers. And she tells the story of her people and how they used to go out beyond the reef and the great adventure that they were a part of and the danger of those days and why it is that there's the seed inside of her that continues to draw her out beyond the reef. And so you're like, all right, great story, Josh. What's that all about? But the truth is, as I think about that story, the reason I connect so much to that story and the reason I, I've sort of gotten wrapped up in that story is this thought, right? And I just continue to picture um, Moana's grandmother saying to her, we were voyagers, right? We were made for more. And the truth is about my own life is I've always been drawn beyond the reef, right? I've always, and many of you have had the same feeling inside of you. You're like, nah, I just feel like I'm drawn to more, right? I feel like there's more out there. And we get caught up in the daily monotony of life, right? And if we're not careful, it becomes mediocrity. And we sort of just go through the motions day in and day out. And we wake up and day looks almost exactly the same. We watch some Netflix. We go to bed. Same thing the next day. And so we get caught up in the monotony of everyday life. But all the while, we feel inside of us this sense that there's something out beyond the reef. There's something more than the monotony of everyday life. And so what I wanted to do for you today is I wanted to begin by reminding you of your heritage. That the reason why you feel like there's more out beyond the reef is because indeed there is. We were never meant for safety, right? We were never meant for the safety of the lagoon. Now again, it, it, it has a role for periods of time, but it was never meant to be the primary pursuit that we had was to pursue the safety. Yet in a large way, as a culture, it's something that we worship. We, we worship safety and control and comfort. And we do everything we can to not only attain that and to grab hold of that, but to then once we have it, to guard it at all costs, right? But deep inside, there's something that's pulling us beyond, that's drawing us outside of ourselves. And I would tell you today that that very something is the Spirit of God. He's drawing us outside of ourselves. He wants more for your life. And over the last several weeks, we've been rediscovering Jesus in a new way. We've looked at how he's the greatest visionary, how he has this dream for your life, this dream for your family. We talked about how he's the greatest conqueror, how he completed the greatest escape by overcoming the grave, by giving us victory. We talked last week as we celebrated VIP Day in here, and you guys invited friends into this room. We talked about how there's no greater transformer in the history of mankind than Jesus himself. And today, what I want to do is talk to you about the force of Jesus. There is no greater force to be reckoned with than the power of Jesus. And we see this time and time again. There's 37 recorded miracles in the Gospels alone, and we get to read these stories. And and as we read these stories, as we read these stories, I want you to think about these as stories of your own heritage. That as followers of Jesus, that these are stories of your very own heritage. They give us a picture of not only what's possible um, uh, with God, but what's possible in our own stories as we put our trust in him. And so what I want for you today, and what I hopefully we can do as we share another story of miracle, is we can grab hold of that true heritage that we have as followers that are called out beyond the reef. 
In fact, Jesus, after his resurrection, after he's conquered the grave, after he has seized victory and stands before the disciples as one who is bodily resurrected, as one who has risen from the dead, done the impossible, conquered the grave, this is the message that he has for them. And you can imagine, they would have just been chomping at the bit, like, let's go. We got the greatest hope in the entire world. We got to tell everybody about it. And while they were seized, sort of stepped back in fear, now they're ready to go. And Jesus says to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You're voyagers. You are a sent people. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Not only are you a sent people, but I'm going to empower you with the very power that conquered the grave. I'm going to place that inside of you. I'm going to give you my very presence, and I'm going to draw you out beyond the reach. That's the invitation of Jesus. And if that stirs your curiosity or imagination just a little bit, I want to invite you as we study the text today to allow God to speak to you. Let me pray about that. Father God, we thank you so much. That, God, we know this desire in us comes from you, that you planted it there, God. And so we ask, God, that you would continue to draw us outside of ourselves. That as we think about what's possible, God, through your power, God, that we would believe, that we would trust. God, that we would reclaim our heritage as, as those who are voyagers that are called out beyond the reach. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. So the question I want to ask today is, how do we get beyond the reef? How can we break beyond fear and comfort and fearlessly live out our heritage here and now? Because we are living in a day and age, and there's more people on the planet than there ever has been. There's no greater time to live in terms of the opportunity of fearlessly spreading the hope of Jesus. And so for whatever reason, God decided that he would entrust this time to us, and it's time that we grab a hold of it and say, we're getting back in the boat, and we're going to sail out beyond the safety and monotony of the reef. And so as we look today, I want to look at a story, another miracle of Jesus in Matthew 14, 22 through, 20, through 32. And so if you go in and turn there, um, we'll be hanging out there today. And as we do, I want you to think about the fact that as Jesus performs these miracles all throughout Scripture, he defies what's natural or considered normal time and time again, right? He gets us thinking in a different kind of a way, and he does that, one, so that he can reveal who he is. So that we can get a clearer picture of who he is and what he is capable of. But in this story today, and in many of these stories, he does it also so that we can get a picture of what, what we are capable of if we rely on his power. The Bible tells us that apart from him, we can do nothing. But when we rely on him, that nothing will be impossible. And so when we think about this, when we think about what's possible with Jesus, that's what I want to look at today. So we're going to look at this story in Scripture, and this may be a familiar story to many of you, but I want you to read and, and, and listen to it with uh, fresh ears. It says that he immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So this is just after the feeding of the 5,000. They just witnessed this incredible miracle that Jesus does, where he does the impossible. He proves that God is a God of provision and power. And so after that, the people want to make him a king, and he realizes that this is not the way things are supposed to go. So he says, listen, you guys head out into the boat. I'm going to go up onto the mountain and pray. And that's what he does. He goes up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. And it was being beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. 
So just a little bit of sort of background about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was known for these violent storms that would just come out of nowhere. And the way that it was positioned, the, the wind could just, in such a powerful way, draw these huge waves that could overrun a ship without any problem. And so often this would happen, and we see, in, even in the scriptures, a few stories where the disciples are caught in moments like that. And so they're caught in this moment, and it's in the middle of the night. It says, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. So it's about three in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, right? Because that's their first inclination is, you know, it's probably not the guy that just fed 5,000, but it could be a ghost. Like, that's actually possible. And so they jump to this assumption, and they just think, there's a ghost coming at us. And so not only now are we freaked out because our boat's about to sink, we're about to die, but now there's a ghost charging after us, you know. So we're in a real sticky situation here. And I love it because as you read on here, it, it says it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear, all right. So this wasn't just some internal thing that was happening. They were actually crying out, overwhelmed in fear, shouting out. So they're screaming in the middle of this boat. All of them freaking out, running around. What do we do? Now we got a ghost coming out after us. And Jesus, in the middle of that, as they're crying out in fear, he spoke to them. Jesus opens up his mouth. He speaks to them saying, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And as they're screaming, they're going crazy. The wind's blowing. The waves are, are crashing. Jesus speaks with this calm yet assertive, confident voice. Don't be afraid. Take heart as I. And Peter answered him. He said, if it's you, command me to come to you out on the water. And he said, come. And I love this. I love this about Peter. Because there's a whole bunch of people on the boat. Most of them are running around with chickens with their heads cut off. Like, what do we do? We're going to die. Jesus speaks. They're like, okay, it's Jesus. Calm down. Pull yourself together. They're still pulling themselves together. And Peter is climbing up on the edge of the boat. Like, come on, Jesus, if it's you, I, just tell me to come to you out on the water. I want to come to you out on the water. I want to jump out to you out on the water. And so Peter, his emotions have now just kind of taken a quick turn. He's like, all right, now if that's Jesus, I want to, I'm urged to, I'm compelled to jump out of this boat and come walking to you on the water. So out of all the people on the boat, there's one person that's not shriveling back, that's willing to say, God, call me out, draw me out. I know it's dangerous out there. I can see how tall those waves are. But if that's you out there, I'm not afraid of that. I'm going to jump outside of this boat right now, and I'm going to walk to you on the water. And I love this about Peter. We see story after story where Peter's the first to open his mouth, which sometimes works, sometimes doesn't work for him. But he's the first to open his mouth. He's the first to jump. He's the first to speak. He's the first to just compelled by God to say, hey, I'm going to do this. I want to do this. And so he's always ready to jump. You know, we're kind of in this stage now with Eli where this dude is just, he is not afraid of anything, which freaks me out. Because nonstop, he's finding new ways to freak me out. Like, for example, the dishwasher will be open, and he'll go down, and he'll reach. He'll be walking to me, like, with a knife. Like, I'm like, bro, like, put that down. Like, how did he find the knife? Like, out of everything else, like, he finds the knife. Or he, he can find danger, like, regardless of where it's at. There'll be times where Jess and I will turn around for, like, not longer than two seconds. And this dude's just standing up on the kitchen table, like, what's up? You know, like, hey, I'm like, no, like, you can't do that. And so I'm, like, run. And not only now does he just find every dangerous thing, right? Like, I'm just trying to keep this dude from 
jumping off of something, or like, I'm just trying to keep him alive. And so that's day in and day out. That's what we're trying to do is just calm him. He'll be on the stairs. He doesn't even want my help down the stairs anymore. He wants to walk down the stairs, but his feet are like, you know, this long, and the stairs are like this big, you know, and he's like, so this is him all day long. And not only that, but now he just wants to jump off of everything. This is where he's at. So he'll be up on the kitchen table, and I'll just see He's like, he's, uh, he's jumping, like, before I'm going like, to run over there, like, try to grab him. He's jumping off of stairs. He's jumping off of boxes in the gym. He's jumping off of everything. And truthfully, it stresses me out, you know. And I find myself, I continue to say to him, like, uh, this is the phrase. I just comes every time I see him. I'm, buddy, you're going to fall. Like, you are going to fall, buddy. You are going to fall. And then I help him down, except he wants to jump to me, and then it becomes a game, and now I'm reinforcing jumping off of things. He just jumps to me over and over again, over and over again. And I think to myself, you know, like, this is my reaction is, man, he's going to get hurt. Like, I, I can't let him get hurt. But then I thought to myself, you know what? I was once that little boy. My parents will tell the same stories of us wanting to jump off of things and wanting to, to rush to the heart of danger. And truth is, I didn't even grow out of it as a teenager or a college student because then I'm just trying to jump off higher things. I'm like, hey, how about that cliff over there? Like, we should jump off of it. Nobody else is jumping off of it. Like, we should probably jump off of it. You know, or hey, how about that airplane? Like, yeah, Jess, let's go jump out of that plane because that makes a lot of sense, right? And so nowhere in my mind used to be the phrase, you're going to fall, buddy, you're going to fall, right? And maybe you could say that's because you were careless and clueless and Potentially that is true, and potentially to some level that's still true. But I was once that little boy, but now a lot of times I think, man, and I even have to say it to myself, you're going to fall, you know, and I have fallen, I have gotten hurt, and the truth is if I fall, I'm not as fast to recover these days, right? And I think these things, and in a way I'm like, well, I'm just being more realistic, right? And as we get older, like we once have this voice in our head that just says, you should jump off of that, like, you should jump. Like, why not take that risk? Why not take that jump? Why not jump, jump out in that way? And so we have this voice that's just compelling us to jump, but then we talk ourselves out of it, and we get a little bit more realistic. Why? Well, I thought to myself as I was thinking about it the other day, I was like, you know, it's, it's just because I, I know so much now, right? And that's, I gave myself that reasoning. I'm like, it's because I know so much. I know the dangers of, of everyday life, and I just, it's because I know things. And then the Lord sort of whispered to me, no, you just don't know me enough. And I'm like, Oh, I got you. So, man, have you ever thought about that that way, right? That what if it isn't the fact that we just know too much? Because, yeah, we do know a lot more. There are greater dangers. We're more aware of that. But what would it look like, like Peter, if we knew who it was out on the way that said, Lord, if it's you, I've got a greater confidence. If I could have my eyes on you, I've got a greater confidence. And so maybe the answer isn't that we just, you know, stop knowing more. It's that we know Jesus more and more. That should be our ultimate pursuit. And so this is what compels Peter out of the boat. He knows it's Jesus. He heard his voice. He says, Lord, if it's you, come. All right, that was Jesus. He said, come. Now I'm getting out of the boat, and I'm running to him. And so if we want to get beyond the reef, we've got to break out beyond this, this sort of hesitancy that we have, right? Where we're afraid of fear. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of falling. We're afraid of what actually is a legitimate fear that we're going to see here in just a minute happens with Peter. But we think about these things, and these are the things that keep us from getting out of the boat. So what we must do is we've got to unearth that desire within us that was once there, that just wants to jump. Because that's God drawing us out, saying, hey, listen, I know it's a risk. I know it's dangerous out here. I know the waves are tall. But would you trust me, and would you get out of the boat? 
And for many of us, we're in a season right now, we're like, you know what, I know exactly what he's talking about, and there's that thing you're thinking about right now, you're like, nope, I, I just, I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take the safe bet here, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to play it safe, I'm staying in the boat. And so what is that for you? I remember um, when I was in college, um, there was this girl that um, just grabbed my attention. And um, it was Jess, so before it gets awkward in here, you know. Um, so we're at dinner one day, we're at Applebee's, and this girl sits down next to me. I hadn't known her, but she was kind of in a mutual friend group. And, um, like, like, I just feel like immediately, like, I'm connecting with her. And she's being, like, spunky with me, which I kind of like. Like, she's sort of calling me out. And, like, you know, I was a little bit rude to the waitress. And she, she, she like, sort of made a comment, like, hey, maybe she'd be nicer to you if you smiled a little bit, you know. So she's, like, calling me out. And I'm like, man, like, that girl is interesting. Like, I, I want to get to know her. And I told, after that night, I went back. And I wouldn't admit this if, if it didn't pan out the way that it did. Um, but I went back to my buddy that night, and I said, you know, just kind of in a casual way. It was, I said it as a joke just in case it didn't work out, right? I said, dude, I'm, that's, that's my girl right there. I'm going to marry her. Like, I'm marrying her. And I don't know if I fully believed that at the time. I did say it out loud. And does it always work that way? I don't know if it works that way. And I don't even know what I knew or what I knew at that point. But I said it. And so I made a decision in my mind that day um, that I was going to pursue her. And that was, it was a bit you know, that sounds a bit cleaner than what it was, but the truth is it was a bit of a messier situation. It was one of her friends liked me, one of my friends liked her. And so we were sort of trying to help. It, it just wasn't a pretty thing. So we had to work all that out. And I remember I was reading this book at the time. You know, I easily could have been like, no, like this is it's too much trouble. You know, I'm going to make them mad, whatever. I don't want to pull out the rug for my friend, which eventually I decided to do anyway. Um, it was my moment, you know. And, uh, but I was reading this book called Seizing Your Divine Moment, and it was that, there was the several lines in there, but this whole idea of seizing your moment. I knew this was my moment. Like, I, with this girl, I had to, I had to step out, you know, and I, at the time, I wasn't even really looking for a serious relationship, but I'm like, nope, like, this is, this is, this is it. This is my moment. My window will close. Somebody will take advantage of this beautiful, amazing girl and, and get to know her and pursue her. It's going to be me right? I'm going to make sure that that's me. And so Erwin um, McManus was the book guy who wrote the book, and in it he says this, and this is one of the lines that, that really struck me, and I've thought about a lot. It says that the abundant life Jesus promises is ushered in through the choices we make in ordinary moments of life. So those who change the world, who make a difference in history, who live life rather than simply watch it, have at least one common characteristic among them. They do something. They do something. They're willing to be that person while everybody else is sitting on the boat, right? And I'm sure, I know, in fact, for sure, there was a lot of guys interested in my wife back in those days, but I didn't care about them, right? I was going to be the guy that said, I'm getting on, I'm jumping out in here. I'm putting it on the line. She might reject me, um, but I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I could share more and more stories of that. But all of us, we have these series of choices in our lives, and we think that it's always just this big moment, right? It's this big moment. I'll know it when it gets there. But what if there's more to do with the everyday moments in life and seizing these everyday opportunities? What would it look like if when everybody else was still in the boat, you were saying to God, hey, call me out. If it's you, I want to go. I'm going to do whatever it takes, and I'm going to get outside the boat. Because the majority of people will stay in the boat. But the bold few will shout out to the Lord like Peter did, command me to come to you on the water. Call me out. 
And so we see how this works out as we read on in the story. Uh, Peter got out of the boat, and it says, and he walked on water, and he came to Jesus, right? And if the story stops right there, like, okay, cool, that's awesome. Like, that's, that's a good ending. Like, that, he, it, you know, it was, he just walked on water, he came to Jesus, and all was well, right? But something else happened. It says that when he saw the wind, he was re- afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You know, one of my least favorite places to go of all time, I'm sorry if any of you work there, is um, the BMV. Anybody with me on, like, the BMV? Like, I'm just not a fan of it. I, I um, you know, I, you get there. You got to have all this paperwork ready to go. And, like, regardless of when you go to the BMV, it's, like, always crowded. Like, I can't find one that's not crowded. I can't find the right time to go. I'm always showing up, and I'm like, did all you people camp out here last night? Like, was there a line of tents outside the door? And somehow now I'm, like, number 50 in the line of, like, all these little, like, pull things. And so I'm like, all right, fine. And so my license had expired back in December, and I'm like, I have got to get uh, a new license, and so I go to the BMV, I decide that I'm going to wait in line. In the middle of December, you can probably remember that it was like peak flu season. And that's the other thing I don't like, is because I'm like, I know they don't ever wash these chairs. I know that like, and just in there you hear like, is everybody coughing in here? Like, did, I thought it was the BMV, but is this the doctor's office? Because now everybody's coughing, and the chairs are like, they couldn't be closer to each other. You know, like, cool. do you want to just cough on me some more? All right, awesome. Like, let's just breathe it in. Like, let's just get it over with, you know. And I've become more of a germaphobe, partly because my wife is. And so she's like, well, no, I'm washing my hands. Like, I felt like I had to wash my hands, like, six times, just like them. Like, I'm like, oh, man. So I'm sitting over in my seat. I'm, like, off to the side. Like, just don't cough on me. Don't breathe. I, like, I'm practically, like, just sitting there, like, you know, just breathe through your shirt. Like, it won't get on you. And, uh, like, man, there's all, like, all these people sick. And I'm just waiting. My numbers are, you know, numbers are going down. Numbers are finally like, all right, number 50. And I'm like, I'm jumping. Oh, it's good. You know, like, let's just get this over with. I need a new license. Then they ask me like a million questions. They're like, have you recently like been pulled over for this, 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 or this? Like, I'm like, now I'm on the stand. I'm like asking me all these personal questions in front of everybody, you know. So I'm like, thankfully the answer was no to all of them. You know, no, I haven't had that problem. No, I haven't had that problem. No, I don't use that or do that. Okay, can we just get that? Cool. All right, can I get my license now? I'm like, I thought it was over with. You just get your license, take the picture. Yay, smile on your way. But then she said to me, she said, um, you know, as if I'm not already, like, just overwhelmed by all the germs in the room. She says, all right, sir, we need you to take a vision test. And I'm like, and then she points to this little thing that might as well just be a Petri dish with, like, all kinds of germs on it. She says, go stick your face in there. You want me to stick my face in there? Like, are you serious? And so I'm, like, about to say, like, just forget it. Like, I'll just, expired license is fine. Like, let's just move on, you know. But I'm like, oh, man, like, I've got, and I stood there for a little while thinking about it. I'm like, and I even said out loud, I said, do you want me to stick my face in there? Because I'm thinking, can't we just do one of the old-fashioned ones where you, like, cover your little eye with that, you know, and I probably would have just, like, used my hand because that was probably cleaner. But let's just do that. Like, that would be fine. Like, my vision is fine. So then I stick, I'm like kind of like, oh, fine. You know, she's like, there's some wipes over there. I'm like, cool, some wet ones. Like, this will really, like, let's just spread the germs around a little bit, and then I'll stick my face in it. That's cool. So, like, as if these little wipes were going to help, I wipe my face in it, and then I'm like, okay, like, you know, face in. And it's so greasy in there. It's like every greasy forehead is just like, did they ever clean this thing? Probably not. Greasy forehead. Now I have this, like, greasy line on my head. I feel it. I'm in there. 
And so now I'm doing the vision test, and they're like, I'm just hoping. I'm looking. I'm like, there are definitely, like, line 10 through 18, never reading those. Like, never. Never going to read that stuff. So if she asks me for I'm like, my license, I'm already thinking, like, my license is getting taken away. Like I, so thankfully, she had me, like, down further, and it was like, okay. So I'm starting to read this, but it's taking, like, everything in me just to focus on being able to see and read these letters. And then she throws another thing at me. She says, I'm like, all right, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. She's like, now as you're reading that row, we're going to read the next row. And as we do that, I want you to let me know if you see any blinking lights. Now we got blinking lights? Like, this game is getting worse and worse. I can barely read these letters. Now I got blinking lights. So I, all of a sudden, I just, I started seeing blinking lights. I was just like, everywhere, like, there's blinking lights. Like, I'm just, I know I'm supposed to see blinking lights. So I'm like, blinking light, blinking light, blinking light. And she said, she said, okay, I'll start the blinking lights here in a minute. I was like, oh. So I'm just stretching out my blinking light, like, posture, you know, like, blinking light, blinking light. Okay, good. So I, like, I just thought I was supposed to see them. So I'm like, blinking light, like, I'm seeing stuff, like, good. You know, it's all good. And so finally, I actually do see the blinking lights. And now I'm like, man, blinking light. What's that blinking light doing? I'm like, blinking light. And I'm like, blinking light. And so she's like, sir, could you continue to read the letter? So I, you want me to do both at the same time? And so I'm trying to, like, keep the blinking lights straight, and I'm reading the letters. And at this point, I feel like I'm just guessing. So long story short, I got somehow got my license, but beware on the road. I, was, I guess that's what I should tell you because – I guess I can see good enough to drive. I really feel like she just felt sorry for me and was like, okay, you're good, right? And what were they testing? With the blinking, little tricky blinking light that they had, they were testing my peripheral vision. And peripheral vision is important, but it's called peripheral vision for a reason, right? It's called peripheral vision for a reason. So when we get called outside of the boat, as Peter did, what often happens is what happened to Peter, right? At first, he's got what's primary in primary view, right? He steps out of the boat. He's got his eyes on Jesus. We're even told that he walks out to Jesus, right? He walks out toward Jesus. And then all of a sudden, those waves, that those aren't new waves, those same waves that have been there the whole time, that wind that was blowing the whole time starts to get in his head. And he starts to look away from Jesus, and he starts to look from what's primary to what's peripheral, and he, he's, the blinking light is just too much, and he's looking, he's like, okay, wow, those waves are really big. Wow, that wind is really strong. And so now he's so fixated on the wrong things. The blinking lights, what's in the peripheral, takes over. It says when he saw the wind, which is interesting because you can't really see wind, but you can see the effects of the wind, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. You see, when he kept Jesus in front of him, he was doing just fine. But what the enemy loves to do is he loves to just turn on that blinking light. Like, hey, I know you're focused here, but look, look, look. Look over here. Look over here. Look at how big this is. Or look at what, what, what a big failure this is. Or look at this big mess over here. Or look at this tragedy or this thing that's happening. Look at how everything's closing in on you. And so he likes to draw our attention away from what's primary into what's peripheral. And you know this, right? And for some of you, you've been on this journey to follow Jesus, and maybe at first you jumped out, you're like, Jesus, I'm all in. Like, this is good. I want to follow after you wherever you call me to go. I don't care if I'm walking on the waves or whatever it is. I'm bold. I feel confident in you. But at some point in time, as we're walking along the waves, some circumstance in life or something happens, and all of a sudden we're no longer looking at Jesus, and we're just so consumed and obsessed with whatever that thing is in our peripheral view. And so if we want to get out beyond the reef, if we want to live dangerously in the way that we were meant to live dangerously, we've got to get our eyes back on what's primary. We've got to get our eyes back on Jesus. 
I have several friends in my life right now who, as they are going through some things, um, they're, they're facing some wind and some waves. And for some of them, it's just the everyday pressure of trying to live as a follower of Jesus, as a voyager, in the middle of some, just an environment or a workplace that has nothing to do with that that is going completely the opposite direction. And they're coming to me like, man, should I try to get out? And then I have one friend that's like, no, like I, I feel like this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be out here on the water. I'm supposed to be in this place. But, man, the wind is just so strong. The waves and the resistance are so strong. And, you know, as we've had these conversations, I've had to have the conversation with, with several people just to remind them, listen, when you refuse to go with the flow, What's going to happen? It's going to feel a lot like you're swimming upstream, right? When you stop going with the flow, now, if, every, you know, if you're not facing any resistance at all, that raises a question of its own, right? You're probably just going with the flow. You're like, life's pretty good. I'm hanging out in the, you know, to use the analogy earlier, I'm hanging out in the lagoon. I'm going with the flow. But when you decide, hey, I'm going to do something countercultural, like follow Jesus, it's going to feel a lot like swimming upstream. And so we can't be surprised when that happens instead we've got to get our eyes back on jesus we've got to get our eyes back on jesus and we've got to keep matching resistance with persistence keep jesus in primary view and the waves and the resistance in our peripheral view and what happens as we do this is we start to realize and we start to experience god in a bigger way And as all this happens, right, from near disaster of Peter almost drowning, which the Lord didn't let him do, was not going to let him do, he pulls him out of the water, which, you know, for some of you, as you're in that situation, you know that you're sinking, and maybe the thing you need to do is just throw up an arm, all right, God, man, I'm, I'm about to go under, please help me. And so maybe that's the line that you pray. But what happens after all of this unfolds is we see that then they got back into the boat, And when they got back into the boat, it wasn't until, and Caroline said that I made this point earlier, but I'm pretty sure that I didn't make this point earlier, that that God just made this point to her earlier, because I missed this point completely. But she said, listen, hey, Josh, what I thought was interesting is how you said that it's when they got back into the boat that it was only then that the wind ceased, and it was only then that those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So it was only after this whole experience, this whole encounter, this whole thing that they went through, that they came to this powerful and important realization, and that was this, truly you are the Son of God. And so maybe what you're going through today, or maybe the resistance or the sinking, or whatever it is that you're going through today, is to bring you back to the place where you can confidently throw your arms into the air and just say, truly you are the Son of God. Just imagine for a second that you're on that boat. You have just watched Jesus defy the laws of the natural universe at will. Men don't walk on water, but Jesus casually walking along the water, empowering other people to walk on the water. And they're probably rubbing their eyes the whole time. Like, we've seen Jesus do some incredible stuff. But now walking on the water, are you kidding me? He's going to do that now too? And this wasn't the first miracle they've experienced, but each one of them did what miracles do and did what proper focus on Jesus does, it brings us back to our knees in worship. So as we go through these things, as we step out beyond our own capacity, what happens is God gives us greater and greater faith. He gives us a greater and greater realization of who he is. And as we go through these experiences, as we do that thing that seems risky, as we take on that challenge or that new endeavor, we get to come back to the place like, wow, God, 
look at how you did do that. Look at how you did that. Look at how you walked me through that. And that's what happens to them. It brings you back to this place of awe and wonder. Truly you are the Son of God. So just think for a minute. Just think about those things in your life. And you're like, maybe, you know, maybe I've never watched Jesus walk on water. I've read about it. And by the way, these are true encounters. These are real testimonies of actual things that happen. And you think, man, do those kind of things still happen today? Man, just think about this. I mean, think about what a miracle it is just to, to breathe air in and out from your lungs. The fact that you shouldn't even be here. I mean, when you think of the probability of life existing at all, the, all the, the perfect conditions that had to happen just for that to happen, you can't tell me that that's some sort of accident, right? It's impossible to even conceive the improbability of life, right? You think about being on this planet Earth, that, man, if we were just a little bit further from the sun, we'd freeze up. If we were a little closer to the sun, we'd get drawn into the gravitational pull of the the sun. We would burn up, right? So, like, if you just even think about this, and, man, what a miracle it is just to be on this planet, that this planet keeps spinning, right? Some of you have seen a baby being born. I mean, what an incredible miracle that is. And some of you, if you really thought about how God has revealed himself through your stories, that thing that he helps you overcome, that thing that he's walking with you through right now, as you look back in time at your story and all the places God shows up, and I think sometimes we need to take a break and we need to do that to say, so that we can get back to the place where we're just taken over in wonder and awe, truly you are the son of God. And if we want to break beyond the reef, We must constantly remember who it is that draws us out. We must get swept up in this sense of awe for him. And so if you really want to be prepared to fully live, it's about priming your heart again and again for worship. And I'm not just talking, by the way, of, hey, we come in here and we sing a few songs, and that in an entirety is worship, right? And some of you are like, man, well, I, I missed two out of the, you know, however many songs today because I was late. So, man, I really didn't get my worship in this week. You know, but, man, it, it is so much more than that. That is what we do here. But what are you doing throughout the week to continue to prime your heart for worship? To continue to get caught up in awe and wonder for Jesus. Maybe it's just sitting out in the middle of nowhere, just in the middle of nature, just taking it all in. Being reminded of the vastness of God. Maybe it's just looking right into your kid's eyes and saying, man, what a miracle this is. They stress me out sometimes, but man, what a miracle this is. To look at your life and to see how God is at work. To see that there is no greater force in your life than the presence and power of Jesus. And man, that continues to compel us out further and further beyond the reef. And so as we spend some time closing here today, what I'd like to do, we're going to sing a few songs, is just go into a time of worship. Don't let this opportunity pass you by to just bring your best to God, to throw your hands in the air and say, truly you are the Son of God. We're going to watch a video, and then we are going to take time of communion and just sing together. We're going to worship together. And so during that time of communion, we're going to remember the price that Jesus paid on our behalf so that we could live out our heritage as his followers to live into and lean into our purpose more fully. And so we'll spend some time reflecting. Uh, We're going to watch a video here in just a second uh, that really captures this idea of Jesus as the son of the living God. Uh, And then we're going to close out in worship. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this opportunity this morning to gather in your presence. 
Thank you for your word that is true and that is relevant for our lives. Draw us close to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.